submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is saviour. Now as, church, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by washing with water through word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are the members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey the earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves as Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Well, Fraser and Yvonne, did you know when you picked today to dedicate Alana and you, and that I would be preaching a sermon on how we should behave within a Christian household? And would you still have stayed with today had you known that? All that stuff about children obeying their parents is very pertinent, of course. Fraser, I don't know you well enough to know whether you need a sermon from me or not exasperating your children. You will be an exceptional father if you never, ever exasperate them. And Yvonne, I don't know you well enough whether you welcome or resist a sermon on wives submitting to their husbands. I don't know what kind of relationship you two have. And I, looking around, it would be fascinating to, to line us all up from those who think, yeah, that's fine, wives submit to their husbands, that's absolutely, you know, gospel truth, and we're happy with that, to those who think, I have real problems with that in today's society. Because let's be honest, there are people who have difficulties with this passage from Ephesians. We live in an age today where slavery is rightly regarded as abhorrent although the number of slaves in the world today runs into tens of millions. Yet Paul, in talking about slavery here, does not say a word against it. He actually appears to be telling the slaves they just better knuckle down and get on with serving their masters willingly and wholeheartedly. Not a word about the emancipation of slaves. 
Not a word either about the emancipation of women. This passage has little to say about the equality of women. And for many people, this this passage exemplifies so much of what is wrong with Christianity, old-fashioned patriarchal values enshrined in a book that is held to be divinely inspired and so can be used to keep people firmly in a place of subservience and subordination. I know some people think that you can get round the idea of equality because men and women are equal, but they have different roles. That doesn't cut a lot of ice with people who point out that if the role of the man is to be in charge because he's the head of the household and the role of the wife is to submit to him as she would to Jesus Christ as Lord, that doesn't sound very equal. And people have struggled as well with the whole way in which the passage almost objectifies women as flawlessly beautiful and entirely submissive. The original blueprint for the Stepford wife is found here in this passage. I thought actually, having preached on this passage for Tom and Ginny's wedding, about how you know, wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives, I really should not preach on the passage again. I should have asked Jack to do it. Having known Jack for as long as I have now, I'm sure you are the model of a submissive wife. <laughs> at home. I want to look at this passage looking at the positive things that there are genuinely to be found within it, as well as addressing some of the issues and difficulties that some people have with it. And the first point to make very firmly is that Paul is not just mild, he's actually significantly different if you compare what he says here with what other household codes of the day would say about how life in the home should be ordered. And one significant difference is that Paul addresses everybody. He addresses the wife as well as the husband, the child as well as the parent, the slave as well as the master. He grants wives and slaves and children the capacity of being people with sufficient autonomy to make decisions for themselves. They are human beings in their own right with responsibilities before God that come from that. They are not downgraded to the level of being merely objects or ancillaries to the man in the home. Traditional household codes codes only addressed the bloke, told the man what was the right way of exercising his authority over everybody else around him. So yes, Paul's words do seem very mild compared with traditional views about how the man should behave in his household. He should rule his slaves like a despot, his children like a king, and his wife treating her as a rational being, but without any inherent authority. So said Aristotle. The Jewish book of Ecclesiasticus says that a father who loves his son will beat him all the time, so that in the end he will be pleased with how he eventually turns out. These recommendations of how a man should behave as a husband and a father and as a master, are rightly abhorrent to us today. But is it adequate to defend Paul and say, well, look how bad the recommendations were in his day and how well he does in comparison? Does he go far enough, actually, down the road of saying, well, things should be different in a Christian household? He has to address the topic. 
If Jesus Christ is Lord of every area of our lives, he's Lord of how we behave in the home. So Paul is, is duty-bound in terms of talking about what it means to live under the Lordship of Christ. How do we conduct each other in our relationships within the household again? Christianity cannot and must not be compartmentalised into turning up at church on a Sunday morning to pay your respects to God and then ignoring him for the rest of the week at home and at work. <coughs> Following Jesus Christ should and must have an impact on the people we are at home and in the office or the factory, or the workplace. Following Jesus can and should affect how I live and behave as a husband, as a father, as a boss or an employee. How my wife, if she's a Christian, and thank God she is, should live out her faith as my wife and mother to my children. If my children follow in the faith, that should affect their willingness to obey and honour their parents. In the workplace, Christians should be more diligent employees and fairer, kinder bosses. Our faith should have an impact on every area of our lives. But one of the reasons why people put a question mark against this passage in Ephesians is that they wonder whether Paul has sold out in some way the radical implications of the gospel and watered it down to the point where he's slightly tweaking the prevailing moral expectations of his day. After we set Ephesians alongside Galatians, you find quite a difference. In Galatians, there is the bold declaration, in Christ there is no difference between male and female, slave and free. How does that work out with all this business about submission and obedience in Ephesians? In Ephesians, the man's place as the superior master is left intact, the one to whom the woman is expected to submit and the slave to obey. Some have even wondered whether Paul is kind of backtracking and pouring cold water on the aspirations of those who saw the gospel as a manifesto for liberating slaves and women. No, don't go that far down the road, he's saying. What he's trying to do is to map out a framework of relationships in the Christian household that are realistic and socially acceptable in the culture of his day. So it's quite clear the submission of the wife has to be matched by her husband's sacrificial love for her, which is modelled on nothing less than Christ laying down his life for the church. Children should obey their parents, that goes without saying, but fathers are told not to make them angry by acting unfairly towards them. Slaves have to obey their masters, no choice in that matter, but they can choose to serve them wholeheartedly. Well, masters, for their part, must treat them fairly and not threaten or intimidate them. So Paul doesn't jettison the household structures that were part and parcel of the very way society functioned in his day. The relationships between husband and wife, parent and child, master and slave, remain in place. But what he does is insist that they should be transformed in their character by the way in which husband and wife and slave and master and children and parents relate to the, each other as Christians. The man in his role as husband, father and master is to treat his wife and children and slaves in a spirit of gentleness and love that transforms the unequal nature of these relationships in such a way as to remove any trace of oppression or domination from them. People will be different in Christian households because they will treat each other in the spirit 
of Christ. That's what he's saying. And we want to say amen to that, I guess. There are still those who aren't happy. Ernest Best, in his commentary on Ephesians, says it's all very well telling wives to submit to their husbands and slaves to obey their masters. That might work with a genuinely loving husband or a kind and generous master. But what about the real world? What was the Christian Christian wife to do if her non-Christian husband ordered her to worship his gods, he asks. What was the position of a battered wife? Was the primary obedience of a slave's wife to her husband or to her owner? Again, did he ignore the position of wives with hostile husbands and slaves with oppressive non-Christian masters? What would he have said to the Christian son of slave parents whose master wished to use him homosexually. These things happened. And Ernest Best says, you know, Ephesians doesn't get to grips with the reality of what people faced on a daily basis, some of them. He says what the writer of the Ephesians says about family relationships is it's limited, it's simplistic, it's pastorally unrealistic and defective because it simply doesn't address most of the serious problems that would arise in many households, particularly, but by no means necessarily only, in non-Christian homes. Yet we need to understand the way in which Christians kind of worked out their ethics. In the Jewish world, they went down the road of codifying in, in, in minute and meticulous detail what to do in any and every situation. See, if you wanted to know, wife, what to do if your husband told you to do this or that, which did not correspond to your conscience, somewhere in the Mishnah or the amplification of the Mishnah of the Talmud, there would be an exact detail about, you know, how far husbands were allowed to go in telling their wives what they were and were not supposed to do. You could look it up, and there it would be in black and white. Christians didn't go down this road at all. They just consented themselves with with general principles like, you know, be led by the Spirit and love one another and submit to each other. It was a very broad brush approach and it was down to individuals to work out in practice what that meant. And the general principle Paul is working to here in Ephesians is submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. That is what we are supposed to to do. And that, I want to say, is a 100% good commandment without qualification. We live in an age where great emphasis is placed upon my own personal fulfilment and satisfaction. And Paul says, actually more important than that is the extent to which I am prepared to set aside my own personal preferences and wants and desires for the benefit of those around me. Because relationships are more important. Submitting to each other is a vital and non-negotiable part of following Christ. What he tries to do here is to work out in practice what that looks like in the household. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. But you can see, in a society where it's traditional for a wife to submit to her husband, he's going to say, well, this is how you should do it. He's not going to say, well, now Christian, you don't have to submit to your husband if everybody has to submit to everybody else, he's going to say, 
Submitting your husband, that's how you should live. This is how you should do it as a Christian. The same with children honouring parents and slaves obeying masters. There's an expectation that you should do this as a Christian. This is how you should do it. But how does it work in practice? A parent submitting to a child doesn't really work very well. Or a master submitting to a slave, that doesn't really work very well either. So he tries to work out ways in which masters and parents should act towards slaves and children in a spirit that is consistent with the submissive spirit of Christ that they're told to live in accordance with. So that's where you get the gentle love that is expected of the husband towards the wife, the forbearance of a master towards the slave. The, the not provoking children to anger of a parent towards a child. And if Paul has entered what looks like a minefield to us, it's because he's trying to map out what mutual submission looks like in relationships that were perceived as being unequal. How does it work for a husband, traditionally perceived as a superior one, to submit to his wife? Well, he's got to love her as Christ loved the church. How do masters submit to slaves, parents to children? Well, it's all to do with the attitude with which you treat them. And when you, when you put all that he says here in the context of that first commandment, submit to each other, it all makes sense. He's trying to work out in practice what that means. Submission to each other is part of what it means to be a Christian. Can I just take a brief diversion at this point? I know that there are some people who have real struggles with the whole idea of submission, because sometimes that whole commandment can be used to trap people in relationships that are essentially abusive. This ethic of submission can be a mandate for oppression rather than liberation. Mutual submission is what Paul is talking about here, not control of one person after another. Submitting to somebody else not insisting I'm always right, not always wanting my own way, submitting to others in the sense of giving them preferential treatment and being willing to serve them. This is all living in accordance with the Spirit of Christ and it is right and it is good. I want to say that very firmly and clearly. But equally firmly and clearly, I would want to say that all forms of oppression and domination and abuse and control are wrong. Submission on the part of one person is never a license for domineering behaviour on the part of another. Abusive or controlling relationships have no place within the kingdom of God and they are relationships in which people need to be set free. Paul is talking about mutual submission here, not one person exercising power over somebody else. So with that vital caveat in mind, I want, what do I want you to take home from this sermon today? It is the call to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And it's down to you to work out how you do that in practice in your particular marriage relationship, those of you who are married. In terms of your relationship with your parents or your children, in terms of your relationship with your bosses and your employees. Some of these people will be Christians, some of them won't be. 
Working out in practice what that means is very, very difficult. Yet it's something we are called to do in all of our complicated social relationships with other people. What does it mean for us to submit to them out of reverence for Christ? That's the principle. God calls you to go home and work it out and by his grace to live it out in practice because that's part of what following Jesus is all about.